Get ready for the world's greatest Arsenal podcast. Welcome to another podcast by Guns and Yellow Ribbons. Enjoy the show. Hello, my name is Fergus. I'm your host. Uh, we are on another episode of Guns and Yellow Ribbons, but it's not a normal episode of Guns and Yellow Ribbons. It's uh, an episode uh, looking at the history, um, the Arsenal history, a special with Andy Kelly and Mark Andrews. And obviously, if we needed our own historian, uh, we got Old Man Trevor. Hope you enjoyed the show. Um, first of all, welcome Andy, welcome Mark. Thank you very, very much for taking your time out of the close season uh, for joining us. Um, Andy, I'll go to you first. Um, introduce yourself, uh, a little bit about yourself and uh, how you became an Arsenal fan. Uh, nice to meet you, Fergus and Trevor. And nice to see you again, Mark. Haven't seen you for a while. Uh, yeah, so I'm Andy Kelly. Um, I sort of like become over the years um, someone that has become really, really embroiled in the in the early history of Arsenal, uh, but also covering you know sort of like um, the whole of the history. Um, and people now seem to look at me as a sort of like a go-to person, especially now that Arsenal have lost their historian Ian Cook. He's uh, he's he left the club a few years ago, but um, I think. You know, becoming an Arsenal fan is probably very much like most Arsenal fans or most football fans, is it comes from family. Uh, my dad was a, an Arsenal fan. He started going just after the war. Uh, and then my brother is 10 years older than me. So my dad got him into going to games in the 60s, which was quite unfortunately because we were pretty rubbish. And then uh, 10 years later, he started taking me, which was equally as unf- unfortunate because we were just as rubbish then. <laughs> So uh, that, that's how I, I became an Arsenal fan. Mark, yourself, do you want to introduce yourself and how do you become an Arsenal fan? Hello, yes. Um, yeah, all right, chaps. Yeah, and hello, Andy. We haven't seen each other for a while. Um, 1971, FA Cup final um, was my first game I actually remember watching. Um, and much like, much like Andy, um, my dad's a fan from 46 um i recently went through some stuff with him and we reckon that the first game he went to arsenal were bottom of the league um in wow. the start when 46 47 season whatever it was um and the season after that they won the league so you know our fortunes change um yeah i mean like andy you know i, I much prefer woolwich um arsenal history i think it's much more interesting um you know, I like that. I, you know, I love Highbury going there, etc. But I don't know something about Woolwich that I, that I just find interesting as a, you know, because it's so old. There's so much. It's so different. It's sort of like a different. It's a different world, isn't it? Basically. Um, well, it was the start, wasn't it? It was. It was the start, and 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 we all love to hear and listen about the start of our great football club. And it's, it's interesting to say your first game was was in '71, mate. That you remember my first game I attended was in, in, in 1970, December 1970. And, and I think it was the first time I contacted one of you boys. I can't remember which one of you it was now. My first game was against Wolves in December 1970. And it kicked off at 2.30. And I thought, why is it kicked off at 2.30 on a Saturday? And without even knowing you, I dropped you boys an email. And within, within 15, 20 minutes, I had the full details back of uh, why, you know, there was general strikes and there was power shortages. And uh, it was brilliant. And... Uh, Ever since then, the work you do has been been a big part of my Arsenal reading material and my Arsenal life, actually, because I do live the Arsenal. 
and uh so yeah that was that was brilliant that you were able to do that for us sorry fergus i'll fight you in again that's no, right. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Listen, listen. I'm I'm a newbie completely. I'm I, it, as I said to the guys before I started. I got into Arsenal uh, late '80s. Well, probably early '90s when I, I I moved over to England in the late '80s. Met my good wife in the early '90s, and uh, through her family connections, became an Arsenal fan and was living in North London. So you know, my, Athlone Town is my hometown team, and I still support them to this day, and always will. Uh, my uncle played for them in in the Europa Cup Winners Cup or whatever, but that, that that's not over here. But um, Trev, myself, and yourself met in the North Bank. We were introduced by Johnny from the North Bank, and we've become, especially over this lockdown and everything else, we, we've become extremely close friends. We've done this podcast for the last, well, me and you probably for the last two years, eighteen months at least. Uh, but the podcast is about to go into its fourth, fifth season. Uh, Mark, Andy, how did you meet? Who wants to go first? Mark, do you want to go first? How, how, how did you two guys meet? Ooh, uh, to be honest, Andy's better at explaining this one. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so uh, there, there's another guy, uh, Tony Atwood. I don't know if you've heard of Tony Atwood. He's part of ASA, um, and he used to, or he still does run uh, an Arsenal history blog, and he put uh, various articles up on there, and I think it was I, I started commenting on them first because I had little extra bits of information that I'd um, add on to what Tony had. He had he used he tended to use the same sources that everyone else was, which was you know sort of like old books that have uh, just you know regurgitated the same history over and over again. But I had little extra bits to add into that, um, and then because he was writing about uh, the Arsenal time at Woolwich, he was particularly interested in Henry Norris. Mark started to um, contribute to the blogs as well because Mark's got a, a, you know this particular interest in Woolwich as well. Um, and, and then Tony could obviously see that we're we had a little bit more than the usual fan who has a bit of an, an interest in the history of the club. So we sort of like got together that way, and he, he started bringing the, the pair of us uh, or, or bringing the pair of us together to you know, help him with writing his articles. Uh, and then Mark and I, we had a, a chat offline and we seemed to get on really well. We, we both um, knew a fair amount about the club in its early days. Mark, you, you wrote a thesis about it, didn't you? Yes, yes. It, 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 it sort of um, dovetailed, really, because I, I prefer off-field stuff and Andy does all the stats. So I did the crowd. I, my thesis was on the crowd at Arsenal and Plums did. Um, basically, it was to see whether there was football organism starting from because I wrote it in 1990 for the VMA. Um, it, it was really there to, to, to see if football hooliganism had carried on because obviously, up to 1990, there was quite still like quite a lot of hooliganism on, on the terraces, and there was different theories about whether it was a it was a linear progression or whether it had just started in the 60s and effectively it did start in the 60s in reality. It was a little bit beforehand, but nothing of the same beforehand. So, say, you know, Andy is is was into all the players, you know, who played, etc. And I liked all the off-field stuff. So we just dovetailed really well. And it was pretty much the same. I mean, you're saying about the stats, virtually all the stats are Andy's. They're not, you know, I do most of the, I do quite a lot of the writing. Um, and Andy's got the, you know, the, the backing data information. Um, and that's generally how we work. And one thing that we found, it's up to, one thing that happened, we stumbled, or I stumbled across it really, was just a tiny, tiny little piece of information 
in an article that Tony wrote that wasn't right, but it was ingrained in Arsenal's history. And um, it was about a particular player who was supposed to have played in a particular game and been offered uh, professional terms by Derby County. And if you look back through Arsenal's history, it's the sort of like the, the turning point of the club's history. It, it forced them into becoming professional, which was a big thing back then in, in 18, 1991, uh, because the game at the, in the south of the country was all amateurs, whereas the professionals only played in the north and the midlands in the football league. But what I found was that this player that was allegedly offered professional terms by Derby after an FA Cup game didn't actually play in that game for Arsenal because he wasn't an Arsenal player at the time. And I thought, well, that's strange, isn't it? And then I started finding other little bits that were not quite right in Arsenal's early history. And so between Tony, Mark and myself, we got together all these, uh, all these things that weren't quite right. And we thought perhaps there's a book here. And so that, that spurred us on to, to write uh, Woolwich Arsenal, the club that changed football. But even as we were writing that, we were finding out so much more that we almost had a prequel to it, um, which we'll come on to later. So, uh, but anyway, we wrote this book uh, about Woolwich Arsenal. So Arsenal's time from when they were from 1893 up to 1915. Uh, and then we had a little bit of a, uh, a split, I suppose. It's uh, like most big uh, pop groups have the odd split here and there. Uh, Mark and I decided that, you know, we, we wanted to write in our way. Tony had his own way of writing. Mark and I, we, we, we decided that we, found, we wanted to do it our way which was slightly different. Uh, and so we uh, sort of like splintered off and formed uh, our own website, thearsenalhistory.com. So you've, you've mentioned it. Firstly, two things you, you talk about there, boys, that, uh, that, that interests me. People don't realise that the game down south when it was first invented was very much a posh man's game, wasn't it? You know, very, people think it was a working man's game. Well, it may have started off as a working man's game up north, but down south, from what I've seen, and you boys will put me right, it was very much a, a posh man's sport. So, but but moving on to the Arsenal history, so what did you two just get together one day and say, right, we'll, we'll write this book about the Arsenal history. Were all those statistics in the book readily available or did you have to really go on a search to find them? Uh, there, there weren't too many statistics in that particular book. It was mostly stories. Uh, oh, sorry. That, yeah. So there, there weren't that many, uh, that a lot of them weren't available at the time. We were, like I say, we, we, it was constantly changing as we were writing it, because as we were mm. researching it, we were finding out more and more information. And a lot of this information went against what had been previously written. You know, if you, go, if you read our, our book, compare it to the official Arsenal history, they're completely different. Yeah. And we've, so uh, I, I, I've got a couple of books that... Um... I've I've done a little bit on here, which was the Royal Arsenal uh, with Mark Andy until Tim Stillman uh, was um, uh, he edited it for you, I think. And then you got, Ars uh, you got Arsenal, the complete record, which is um, uh, right in front of Trevor right now, which Josh James, yourself and uh, Mark uh, were involved in. Mark, um, asking you about the Royal Arsenal, uh, that book was talking more about the champions of the south and and and, and talking about what you're saying the way they, the game was like there was a northern game and a southern game uh, and i've watched i know it's a 
it's only a Hollywood movie, but is it the English gentleman's game with England and and it depicts <coughs> the way football was then? Is that is that how it was from your research? Is is that a Netflix? Uh, it might program. have been, yeah. The one, yeah. The, I didn't bother. Right. I didn't. Oh, yeah, I was going to start, and I thought I can't be bothered with that. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no well, it, yeah. There's an element of truth in that. I mean, if you think about it, football, um, football split off. Um, there was two foot. There was two types of football. There was rugby football and association football. So yeah, uh, Trevor's completely correct. It was more. It started more as a middle class game, but it was quickly taken over by the working class um, uh, be because you know the, the, two, the, the two the two games. And it's difficult because it, it, me and Andy called me and Andy out quite a lot at the start. Is quite often you'd find a team in Woolwich that you thought were a football were a football team, an association football team, and they turned out to be a rugby team because they didn't have the same scoring system as I have now. You know the scores would be two one say, and you'd think, oh, that's a football match, but it was a rugby match, and and the, the two codes were quite similar because obviously they came from one, they came from one code, um, and you know it, it was they were very very violent, but but the working class generally took over association football, not not rugby football. Why was um, that? Uh, the, well, why they why that specific game, I don't know. Um, why they took it over was greater leisure from about 1880s and that the working class were given, you know, half a day off on the Saturday. Um, specifically that Woolwich, you know, that type of thing happened. You know, they had half, you know, people worked from till one o'clock on a Saturday. They'd steam off down the, the pub, have a few points and then go and watch football, which is pretty much like... Well, do now. Yeah. No, but it was pretty much the same until you know, till they bunged in stands everywhere. To you know, nineteen nineties, um, football really didn't change that much. People went onto the terraces, had a few pints, and that was it. I mean, I still I know people have got pints now, but it's a bit more, it's a bit more gentrified. The stadiums, aren't they? Um, yes, you know. I miss and the terraces badly. I mean, I was raised on the terraces. Yeah, I do, my, yeah. The first time I attended, I was in the West Lower. I think it was the season after they put the seating in. But I was raised on the terraces. Now, I miss the terraces badly. That's why my season ticket at, block, at Arsenal was in block seven, because they let us stand there. And, and, mm. and makes it, uh, it's a completely different experience. You know, people that never experienced the terraces of the, the 70s, 80s and 90s, from my memory, I'm talking, they, mm. they, 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 you couldn't explain it to them. You could tell them the story about, Starting off at the back of the North Bank and as a as a fourteen year old, ending up halfway down after the first goal and actually near the front after the second goal, you know, it, they, they, and 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 that that moment of panic. I always used to have a moment of panic when the squeeze came on, you know, the squeeze <laughs> and then the movement went, you know, and, and you were yeah. all playing with, with the movement. But you know, looking, you talk about the history, the early days. I know you boys went to the early days. Our first season in Division Two. The Arsenal um, was was like we were the only Southern club in there, and it was like the late eighteen. It was the mid eighteen nineties. It must have been an expensive game for Arsenal Football Club League, excuse me, an expensive league for Arsenal Football Club to be in. Because I mean, every week they're travelling hundreds and hundreds of miles. They must have had some kind of financial backing or something going on. Because wow, they, they did ever so well, didn't they? I mean, there's no short so trip there, is there? So, Andy, give us an idea of the 
like the founders and it, it come out of the obviously the um uh munitions factory at Woolwich. Take us from there and, and give us a like a, a rundown of how we ended up being in Woolwich as Woolwich Arsenal. Well, we, we actually never played in Woolwich, funnily enough. We, all our games in, it were played in Plumstead, which didn't get absorbed by Woolwich until the early 1900s. But um, as you that. say, that the, the, the team was formed as part of, um, within the Royal Arsenal, within a factory called Dial Square. They had a cricket team. And in the summer of 1886, at the end of the 1886 uh, cricket season, they uh, had a smoking concert, which was uh, basically a bit of a boys' night out and, and to celebrate the end of the season. And um, they decided to form a football club to uh, keep give them something to do during the winter. So it took them a couple how, of months to get it. Sorry. How, how, how did they fund that? Like what Trevor's talking about, like it was a Northern League and there was no and there was a Midlands League and no Southern League. How oh. did they actually fund that uh they didn't start in the league fergus that that was the first few seasons they weren't in the league where they brought boys i'm butting in it's all about you two trevor says there's um at the, the first few seasons we just played friendlies and certainly the first season it was just friendly so they were playing on plumstead common it was jumpers for goalposts uh and they they you know scraped together 11 players the only good thing was that there were some quite good footballers because they were attracted down to the Royal Arsenal uh, by by good wages. They, you know, they, the Arsenal could attract skilled people, and in, within the first two or three seasons, Arsenal suddenly became really, really um, uh, successful as, a, as an amateur team uh, playing within you know, sort of the London Cups. There was no league, and they were able to to attract players from up north uh, to come and play for them with a promise of getting a good wage at the Arsenal, saying, you know, they'd, they'd pretend that they were skilled craftsmen. Whether or not they were, we don't really know, but they, they, they got them jobs at the Arsenal. Um, and then in 1891, it got to the stage where the, the players that were coming down to play for Arsenal were so good that the teams from the Midlands and the North were trying to poach them. So throughout the whole of the 1890-91 season, uh, we, we had clubs coming down and, and trying to take our players away from us, which they could quite easily do, as ours were amateurs. So uh, it's in 1891 that the uh, the, the, the uh, committee of the club decided to turn professional and start paying players. Oh, wow. Um and Blackheath, I believe we played on Blackheath as well, Mark, didn't we? Um, before we went across the river? No? no. Am I wrong in that? No. Yeah. Boy, you're probably gathering. Fergus is always wrong, right? I have to, say, <laughs> I have to carry Fergus through these podcasts. As much as I love the man dearly, He's a very close friend. I have to. Carry I, 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 I must admit, this was this was a frightening a frightening episode that I was worried about. It. Trev said it was a great idea. I said yes, fantastic, Trev, but I haven't got a clue. I said I'm a newbie. <laughs> no, I mean, actually, down back to your finance question. Um, yeah, it, 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 it seems as if sort of between 1887 and just before they went into the league, the Woolwich Arsenal, as Andy alluded to. Basically, gave them a massive help. They took players on for them. They had them playing, um, playing for Arsenal, and they were paying a mass, a, a, you know, a decent wage for a working man in those days. 
um, yeah. at the same time. Um, then you sort of had the number of benefactors. Um, so you effectively, George Lawrence was a benefactor from 1893 onwards. Um, there's another couple of other people. Um, who was that bloke who died, and I can't remember. Gage, Gage, was it? Uh, yeah, Tom Gage. Yeah. So there was people in there, and they put a lot of mon- lot of money into the club. And then you had uh, basically the, the the chief one after um, sort of been a Boer War was George Levy, who put a, a colossal amount of money into the club. Um, and it was only really when in 1910 um, when he said, "I've had enough." You know, I've put fifteen thousand pounds into the club. Um, wow. I, I, I can't carry on anymore. That gave gave Norris um, and the Fulham directors the chance to come in and save Arsenal because they had liquidated themselves. But chiefly because I, George Laura, George Levy just said, "I can't. I cannot do this anymore." Do you, do you and know I, looked, I, look, I looked at you. Hang on a second, one second, Trevor. I looked at your website and because you, you mentioned Norris and, and the Fulham thing, and I looked at your website, thearsenalhistory.com, and uh, I find it really interesting uh, the, the facts, uh, the, the amount of stats and everything on there. But I was going through is it true, is it not? And, and the one about Fulham merging with Arsenal and Norris wanted to merge Fulham and Arsenal. Andy, do you want to expand on that? Or Mark, who, who, who wants to choose? Well, funnily enough, we've found something in the last few days that has uh, sort of changed uh, changed our view on it just a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah, so basically what happened was in nine, early 1910, George Levy has said, look, I can't keep putting this money into the into the club. What, what had happened in the previous five years, Arsenal had been the first Southern club to join the Football League and then the first Southern club to get into the first division. And they had three or four really good years at the start, you know, around about 1905 to 1908 uh, in the first division. But then a couple of things happened. First was that um, we, we stopped going to war. So we, you know, um, we'd been in wars for so many years. And then, uh, you know, and the, the area was quite affluent because there were lots of people working in, in the Woolwich Arsenal, in the Arsenal Armaments Factory. And they had loads of money to spend, apart from uh, around the time of the Boer War, which is when George Levy got involved in the club. But then they had a, you know, a good few years when everything was going well. But then, like I say, the country stopped going to war. And uh, so the people that worked in the, in the Royal Arsenal were being laid off, laid off left, right and centre. And then the hardcore of the Arsenal fans were, worked in the torpedo factory. And that was moved lock, stock and barrel up to Greenock in Scotland. So, uh, and also Chelsea joined the league and their ground was much more accessible to the floating supporter and they got quickly promoted into the first division. So if you look at our attendances from 1905, they're up here and then they sharply dived. They were, you know, by 1910, we were going to get in half the amount of people going to our games. And you look at Chelsea's attendances, they rocketed because they'd got into the first division. And like I say, it was more accessible. So, um, and as Mark said, George Levy had put an, an, an amazing amount of money into the club and he said, that's it, you know, it's just got to stop. And his idea was to refinance the club uh, and get more, um, some, get, get in some uh, people that were willing to put money into the club. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. And, um, 
three directors from Fulham came along and said, look, we can see you've got dire financial problems. We're willing to come in uh, and help support the club. And two of those were William, uh, sorry, William Hall and Henry Norris. And the third director bowed out quite early. So uh, Henry Norris was the man, the front man. And William Hall was uh, sort of like, they, they were 50-50 partners throughout the whole of the time they were involved at Arsenal. Uh, but Norris was the front man. And um, so he could see that the problem was Arsenal's location uh, based in Woolwich. It was not an easy place to get to even today. And the story goes that, that they tried to do two things. One was to get Arsenal to relocate to Craven Cottage and play their home games there. But at the time, George Levy was still on the board of directors and he said, no, as long as I'm here, Arsenal stay in Plumstead. And the other story was that Norris tried, wanted to get uh, Fulham and Arsenal to merge so that then he gets his first division team. So the team, you know, he's got a lot of shares in Fulham as well. He would then have one super team uh, that would play uh, in the first division for him because he was a chairman of Fulham at the time and they were a second division team. But according to the story, uh, the Football League said, no, you can't do that because if you want to merge, you'll have to take Fulham's place in the second division. But as I said uh, earlier on, we, we just found out that that didn't quite happen that way. Um, Norris didn't put that proposal to the Football League. They, they may probably have discussed it but they knew that that's what the Football League would say to them. So they didn't actually take that proposal to the Football okay. League. Okay. Trav, you were going to say that, something. Yeah, well, on, I, just strangely enough, I knew that we were just about to move on to Norris. But I, I just, it was like in a joviality, boys. Any truth in the fact that Forrest gave us our red shirts? No. No. <laughs> no. And I, I, I sort of knew that in my head, really, anyway. But so, uh, it's a lovely old story to think about. But Fergus, I just want to dwell on Norris because Norris, from from me as a as, as a fan who, who doesn't know the history like you boys, Norris was really the formation of modern Arsenal, wasn't he? This was the start of the football club that we start to even yes. remember in our lifetimes. So was he the tough guy that everyone makes makes him out to be, or was he just a very clever man, or was he just a passionate football man? What's your boys' opinions on that? I'm going to answer that one, Mark. I don't know. It's, just, it's difficult to say, really. Um, I mean, he was initially a, 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 a lawyer's clerk, and he worked his way up, um, and then he started building houses. Um, so he made his money through building houses, basically, and building them in different states around London and the southeast. Um, I, I don't know. There's, there's not that much. I mean, the only the only place where it really says about is him being use me words carefully here um a bit of a what's the word for it a bit dogmatic um is knighton's um is knighton's biography you know where he goes through things and he says he's like napoleon he was you know it was short and aggressive etc etc um but i mean he obviously was a bit of a handful because he, he did come back when, when he got kicked out of football he used to come to the um the arsenal um because I think one of the just shared, but he, he used to he used to ask a lot of questions of, of people. Um, but I, I think there's a bit of a. I mean, as Andy alluded to before, is is Norris and Hall were a partnership, and 
Hall was very, very much in the back room. He used to be on all the FA and Football League um, committees. He used to be he used to do a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And Norris was 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 the voice the voice. You know, you saw someone, it was Norris. You didn't see Hall. But I think we, we tend to think that Hall did most of the, the machinery behind to get Arsenal into a decent position like the nineteen nineteen so, election. So it would it would it would appear that Norris, as you say, was like um Agent for a move and move uh, and and looked and moving out of uh, Woolwich had to be uh, had to be done. Wh- whose decision was it, and what and why did they choose Highbury? Uh, why did they choose that area? Um, I'll go to you, Andy, just because Mark spoke a second ago. Yeah. Okay. So um, as I said, Nor- Norris was looking to move Arsenal out of out of Woolwich to start or out of Plumstead to start with because. He could see that the, the, the fan base had gone. Um, and he did say that, um, you know, he, he would want to keep the club there if the fans came back and they supported the club. And in 1912, uh, George Levy finally said, you know, that's it. I've, I've had enough of Arsenal Football Club. I'm, I've got to concentrate on my business. He was a gentleman's outfitters. He had several shops in the Woolwich area, but also up and down the country. Uh, and it was uh, it's sort of in the so it's during the summer of 1912, and it was at that point then that Norris had the full ability to say, you know, all right, let's let's think about a move. But he kept it quiet. Um, and at the start of the 1912-13 season was was appalling. It's Arsenal's worst season ever. Uh, they only won three games in the whole of the season in the football league. Um, and the crowds just continued to, to go and go and you know, they, they, they were just never coming back. So it was that point that Norris decided that Arsenal had to move. Um, and there were a number of um, sites that, were, that were, were talked about. One was uh, White City Stadium. That got a, a fair amount of coverage. The other was, uh, yeah, yeah, over yeah. that way. And uh, another was uh, Haringey Green Lane. I don't know if you know how well you know London or the Green Lanes area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was born two minutes away from uh, Haringey Dog Track, mate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, that, that was going to be that was that was proposed as one of the uh, locations for us to move to. So imagine how much closer that is to Tottenham's ground than Highbury is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then uh, one day it was announced that Arsenal were moving to Highbury, and um, it's it there, there was a newspaper report that was dug up it was after we wrote our book unfortunately but um and i think it was in the daily mirror it's either daily mirror or daily express and it said that uh, arsenal are just about to appoint a new director and it gave the uh, the indication that this director who was about to be appointed was the one who put norris onto the uh, the area in highbury where, uh, where where the new ground was built, and his name was Charles Crisp. So he, he was quite a well-known man in the football circles. He'd been around for donkey's years. He'd been a player, uh, and then he became an administrator. And he lived um, um, along Holloway Road, so uh, up, you know, going up towards uh, Archway. So he yeah. obviously knew the area quite well. So he, he must have had a few people. You know, he must have known people around the area that knew that St. John's College, where we moved to, uh, that they were having 
basically they were having financial difficulties as well. So it was like two two organisations that were in financial dire straits, and it worked out, you know, really well for both of us. Arsenal got a new ground with, um, you know, a, a real good uh, fan base in the local area, and St John's College got a new tenant that that kept them afloat. And we upset Tottenham in the process, which is always a pleasant thought. Yeah. 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 Um, always good. Which is no. quite ironic because they were in Middlesex. You know, we were a London team. They're a Middlesex team. I, I'm not sure what they were uh, complaining about. It's our turf, not theirs. They're still a Middlesex team in my view. So there we go. So um, if we, we, we moved over there in 1924, was it, I think? Uh, 1913. So, no, 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 no. In 1913, I know that. In 1925, uh, we appointed uh, the now late Sir Herbert Chapman as uh, manager. Um, he came from Huddersfield Town, where he was manager from 1912 to nine. Uh, sorry, no, Leeds, 1912 to 18, 21 to 25 at Huddersfield Town. Mark, talk a bit Wait about a uh, Sir Herbert. Wait a second. I often cut him oh, off. Because go. I've got a show bit of knowledge here. Did you know, for, and I hope these boys don't shoot me down because I'll be going <laughs> red by the second. Did you know that Herbert Chapman actually played for Tottenham, Fergus? Yep. Yes. He actually played for Tottenham. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, that must have made him even more annoyed when he turned out to the most. Sadly, um, when I named one of the stray cats we took in that my wife insisted we took in, I said, the only reason you can have the cat come in if I call it Sir Herbert Chapman. It's now known as Herbie. And uh, my daughter said, what, you're going to name a cat after a Tottenham player? I went, no, <laughs> it's the greatest Arsenal manager before Wenger. And played for Tottenham. She knew. She Googled it just to wind me up. <laughs> Mark, talk a bit about Herbert Chapman. Um, well, the interesting bit you said about Leeds, he actually got banned from football for life whilst he was there, which was then rescinded. Because um, wow. I was... Really? Uh, I think after the first of all, they were they were done for um, all sorts of financial irregularities, um, or it might be during the war. But he he actually he 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 was banned for quite a while, but he got it rescinded because he proved that he wasn't actually part of the club um, when they had a basically it was a blanket ban. Anybody involved with the running or whatever just got banned from because it was it was so what they were doing was so iffy. Um, but he got he got that back. Um, went to Huddersfield, came to our place. You know, I mean, to my view, he is the greatest Arsenal manager, um, purely because he got us from effectively being a nothing team who had a big name. And also, I mean, under Leslie under Knighton, we did used to get big crowds. We you know one or two seasons in the in the six seasons he managed, we had the highest highest um, highest support in the land. You know, there was, there's no mm. question about it. We were a very, very popular team, but we weren't a big team. We almost got relegated. Um, he came in, had a five-year plan. In the fifth year, we won the FA Cup. You know, we won the league twice with him extra. excessive. Who knows what he would have won if he hadn't died when he did. Yeah, that was sudden, wasn't it? Just, just let me finish this question before, before you answer, boys, because I don't want you to think I'm, I'm going too far with this. Herbert Chapman and Arsene Wenger, right? Were they comparable simply from a perspective in that the early days of Wenger's reign and that Chapman's reign, they, they, they had a massive impact because they were so ahead of their time. Their ideas 
was uh, uh, that that period of time was so ahead of anyone else's, and that's what made Arsenal successful. Would that be a correct? Would that be a, a good line of thought, or shoot me down? Oh, well, I know what Mark would say to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, boys, you know, it's a podcast we're here to discuss. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I personally would say, yeah, I, I, I can see exactly that. They both had, uh, they had, they had uh, ideas. Uh, they were innovators, uh, and, and they brought success to the club. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the main difference is that is that Chapman brought Arsenal up from the bootstraps, and Wenger just 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 took a, a, a relatively successful club and, and made them decent for ten years. Um, yeah. yeah, but the, the 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 argument there is if Chapman had Arsenal for twenty two years, would people be looking back? And you don't need to answer this either one of you, but you can if you want. If, if Chapman had Arsenal for twenty two years, would he have been as successful as Wenger? And would he have uh, been pilloried as much as Wenger was in his latter ter- uh, years? Personally, myself, uh, my era is Rioch Graham. Wenger and there afterwards, and I, I, I think the sunshine's out of Arsene Wenger's derriere. So you know, yes, I, I think he overstayed his welcome in the end, but that's neither here nor there. Either. But could you see Chapman if he had the club for ten, uh, ten or fifteen years, even doing much more than he did already, Mark? Well, he technically did because even though he died. He set up a, a boot room, which was pre the Liverpool boot room. The seventies, basically, they, they copied Chapman's way of doing things. So he had a he had a coterie of of of, of, of people: Allison, Whitaker, um, a couple of others, Shaw in but, the background, okay. yeah. who were doing you know who who basically were all uh, basically a brains trust. So they worked worked together. Chapman died. George Allison takes over. Arsenal win. Two league, well, sorry, Shaw took over for a while. In the in thirties, Arsenal won the league five times in the FA Cup twice, but Chapman had died in halfway through it. Um, Second World War comes, we lose untold number of players, um, not obviously top line players because a lot of the players who died were, um, you know, were people who were coming through because of, it's yeah. the fact that you know the younger men. Um, but they lost a lot of players, lost a, you know, and also a lot of older players like Drake, who probably could have carried on, were injured during the war, um, playing football and, and whatever else. So when when the football started again, very few of the original players from the start of the war were still playing. Um, Whitaker took over. He won two leagues and one FA Cup. Now at that point, you couldn't win anything other than the league or the FA Cup. So. In that period, in that period till 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 Whitaker died in '56, you know, we won a lot of trophies, a hell of a lot of trophies. Um, in fact, what was it? Was it seven? It was seven league and three cup, wasn't it? We, we, we were unlucky not to win the double in '52. Yeah, you know, we reached we reached the cup final, and uh, Wally Barnes got injured early on in the game, so we played the game with ten men, and there's no substitutes back then. And um, we, you know, we, we came, I think we came third in the league, but it was going into the last game of the season. If the results had gone right, we would have won the league. Yeah. So, so I mean, in, in my mind, he was, A, he took Arsenal up and brought Arsenal up, but B, he left a legacy. Benga hasn't done that. 
We've gone downhill so fast football in footballing terms since he left. It's, it's like almost like you can't describe it with Ferguson because I think Ferguson was an exceptional manager because of the, just through the number of trophies he won. But Wenger was, was I mean, I, I started <laughs> not liking him very much from 2006 after the Champions League because you could just see that everything he did was starting not to work. Um, Do you know and, what, and, do you know what, mate? I, I, I'm going to back. I'm going to support you here, and 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 you, what you say, I couldn't agree with you more, mate. I, I'm sorry I cut you off there. Don't lose the line because it's important. But Wenger, Wenger, I, I can't say a bad word about him. I can't really be horrible about him. But then I can't be horrible about anybody involved with Arsenal Football Club. Ferguson knows that very well. But he did outstage welcome by a long time, and I, I wonder. We won't dwell on Wenger, but let me just sow this seed. Because uh, the the, there, there's so many other managers as well. There's there's, there's George Graham yeah. and, and someone that I want to talk yeah. about as well. So yeah. yeah, I just want to sow this seed for later. Did we become a bit of an experiment for Wenger in his later years? Was he was he just toying with us and seeing where he could go? Keep that in your mind, Mark. But let Fergus take it back a minute. So. After uh, Whittaker, um, when is the last trophy we won? We went through Crayson, uh, Swindon, Wright, Bertie Mee, Terry Neal, Don Howe, Burton Shaw, and then we got to um, George Graham. Uh, anything before we get to George Graham that was of any significance, important? Oh. Listen, it's Arsenal Football Club. <laughs> Everything's important. Uh. Well, obviously, obviously, Bertie May was somewhat... Um... Influ influential in, in... but with Bertie Mee it, it wasn't just Bertie Mee it was Don Howe in the background he had the best right hand man in the business and when you look at what happened with you know Bertie Mee took over in his first season he had Dave Sexton as his coach and Sexton quit and Don Howe took over and you look at what happened to Arsenal when Don Howe was the coach they reached the League Cup final in 68 and lost against Leeds it were probably the best team in the country at the time. 69 was a disaster. They reached another cup final, though, a league cup final, lost yeah. to Swindon. 1970, they won the uh, the Fairs Cup. 71, they won the double. And then Don Howe left. Mm. And, you know, the I, decline I, was, was, was very, very quick. Did, and then... Did, did then we... Hang, 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 hang on, Trev. I, I did line myself up to get shot down there because I did have uh, the double in. I did have the 71 double lined up to talk about as well. So, yeah, carry on. Carry on. Did me break that team up too soon, Andy? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I agree, definitely, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and the coaches that he, he, you know, he had with him, Steve Burtonshaw. Bobby Campbell was, was quite liked by the players, but Steve Burtonshaw wasn't up to it. And the you, you listen to what the, uh, the players say, you know, Don Howe was the man. When he came back, he came back in 1977. Arsenal reached the cup final. Unfortunately, we lost to Ipswich. Following season, we reached the cup final and beat Man United. And the season after that, we reached two cup finals. Unfortunately, we lost. But, you know, Don Howe's time there, we, we, did, we, we did an awful lot of, uh, well, we reached a lot mm. of cup finals and we won trophies. Yeah, Mark. Mark. Yeah, uh, I mean, in, I mean, Don Howe was the archetypal coach. He shouldn't have been a manager, wasn't he? Yeah, 
second. He was a he, he was the he was a second in command who was fantastic. Could teach everybody what to do. But as a leader, he wasn't he wasn't managerial. It's you could argue that's Arteta, couldn't you? But I don't know. Listen, I work I work in the sales industry, and uh, sometimes your finest salesperson is promoted to be a manager, and they crash and burn because you know a salesperson is is. Uh, skilled in what they do but they're not necessarily skilled in managing people and you got you could have the most meek and mild person that can be the greatest leader i mm. listen I, yeah. jumping ahead uh, probably a little bit you look at i i listened to sol campbell recently on um talk sport and he's he's, he's pushing to try and get back into managerial um managerial jobs and I listened to him and I thought, how can that man be the captain of Arsenal Invincibles? Uh, how can that man be like, you know, an England captain? He didn't sound very inspiring at all, but he must have something to make people follow him. And I don't know. I just that's that's yeah. Well, you can okay, you, you can take that a long way. I mean, Tony Adams, fantastic player, but as a manager or coach, I don't think he's yeah. He, 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 you know, uh, and the same, you know, and you could look at the Charlton brothers. Bobby Charlton was infinitely a better player but Jack Charlton was so much a better manager um Bobby Moore as well fantastic brilliant player but his managerial career nowhere it's it's, it's just strange you know Mourinho didn't really play a lot did he but no. you don't like him he was a brilliant manager for a while yeah uh, Wednesday in a, uh, to, to Leicester in a week I had to do because of Jack Charlton and his bloody couple of Wednesday <laughs> third division team on the train world strike it was a nightmare, but I went every day. It was a special time then. Special time, yeah. Listen, the, the the books that we're talking about. The first book we talked about was uh, the Royal Arsenal. Um, I haven't got a picture of the uh, Woolwich Arsenal, the club that changed football, um, but I have got a picture of what Trevor's covering his microphone with, and what he's. Yeah. Uh... I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I use it, mate. I use it. I'm indebted to these two it, guys. I'm, it, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm, your, it, it's your Bible. And if listen, if you want to see more of it, the Arsenal history, telling it like it really was. It's you know, it's not about trying to be sensationalized, it's just saying these are the facts and so on. So listen, we talk about Ferg, stadium. Ferg, wait. <laughs> you know that website, you gotta tell people uh, give people a warning about that Arsenal history website. Don't start looking at it if you've only got five minutes, you know, because if you're an Arsenal oh, no. and you start looking at it, it sort of draws you in and you find yourself clicking from bit to bit and putting sort of a picture together in your head, you know, you, and you can do it all on you and you're flicking about, clicking about, and, and you don't go on there if you've only got five minutes because you'll be stuck on it for hours, I'm telling you, and that's a compliment to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really guilty that I've done the exact same thing. Go on, Mark. But it's, it's just a shame we haven't got time. A lot of the, we haven't got a lot of time to, to do more and more stuff, is it, Andy? Because we're both, That's right, we're yeah. both working. Um, and I mean, I don't know about you, though, but with the lockdown and work's been not a nightmare, but it's it's been quite full on for quite a while now. So I've been stuck in this room for about eighteen months. Complete <laughs> <laughs> record book. This book, boys. It's um, is there a plan for? Because obviously, you boys know once you write a statistical book. It's not long before there's more to add. So, is there a plan for an updated version every so often? Like that'd be that'd be fantastic if there was. Well, the, the publisher has said that they found that the uh, the updated versions don't tend to sell particularly well. 
Okay. So he's a bit reluctant to put one out for a while. Right. Okay. I mean, we, we like to do it. I've got different things to, to, to put into it now. So I've started putting times of goal scorers in there. There's, I found mm-hmm. a few um, little errors, not errors, but that things are not quite right. So half-time scores, some of them are around the wrong way. And some, some uh, the, the club's official records are wrong. So where they say that a player scored a penalty, he might he didn't actually score a penalty. There's quite a lot of them in the 60s, strangely. But there's penalties that were shown as penalties and goals that weren't shown as penalties that were penalties. That's it then. Now I know it's not yeah. true. Boy. Like, <laughs> right well, and the, also the, the, the other thing that we found quite a bit um, is the more you look into, because obviously the digitisation of papers has made it a lot easier to look at stats like this and, and other bits and pieces but in in that book we've put we put the number of people who were killed or wounded in both wars and we found a couple of other players um who aren't in there who we would like to add um but obviously until there's another version it, it you know they, they won't be they won't well, be in by there. all means you can you can mention them on here tomorrow we're recording this on saturday but tomorrow is uh, the um, 77th anniversary of D-Day. So I'm sure... Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, by all means, Mark, if you've got the names to hand, mention them now. Fergus! Uh, they're all in our file. They're all in our file. I could send you the, na- the names later. Thank you. There's two or three people we'll and there's a few others. We'll give them a mention. It's important that those people are known. I've got this thing going around the back of my head, right? I, I think, Fergus, I think we've just jumped a little bit too far because yes. we've not mentioned the, the fantastic stadium at Highbury, which will hopefully be preserved in its in some shape or form forever, although it makes me sad, actually, when I look at it nowadays. It makes me smile, then it makes me sad because I have to walk past it and not into it. Boys, tell me about the, the, what you found out about the building of the stadium. What made them pull down that original East Stand, well, they built a West Stand first, I know, but but what made them go for something that was years ahead of its time and was could have been built probably for a quarter of the price it was? What what was the driving force behind the building that those two beautiful stands, mate? I think it was Herbert Chapman. Yeah, yeah, he just wanted the best club. He, he was um, he was like a showman as well, and he, he wanted Arsenal to be the best. Yeah, and so he he's. You know, it, it was his vision, but unfortunately, he died before most of it was was finished. Um, so he, he could see that the ground needed to be extended. Arsenal were getting bigger and bigger crowds, so the North Bank it's, was was extended further back, and that's where the story of the uh, the horse being pulled into the into the into the pit at the back of the the uh, North Bank was uh, come from. Originally, everyone thought it was the original building of the of the stadium, but it wasn't. The, the story comes from when it was extended further back, around about 1930. Although we've not found any evidence to say that that definitely happened yet, we're still looking. But also, you know, he wanted people when they turned up at Arsenal to look at it and go, "Wow!" And if you listen to players that have ever played there, opposing players, they come in and they've all said, you know, you go to Highbury and you know that you're at Highbury, you know, when you go yeah. into the Marble Halls. Yeah. Uh, and it must have been as well. Sorry? Attractive players. It might, play, a player must have heard, oh, Arsenal are interested in me. I'm going. I'm playing at Highbury. I'm, I'm going to play yeah. for Arsenal. Yeah. Well, you, 
that, that the changing rooms had underfloor heating. And what, what, what sort of luxury is that? You know, that from the 1930s and players loved going. Well, the opposing players didn't because their their changing rooms weren't heated. Arsenal's ones were. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but a little little known fact is, um, you know, the the steps at the front of the East Stand that go up to the marble halls. Yeah. On the original plans, they uh, extended far too far out onto the pavement. And okay. so the plans had to be adjusted. And rather than redraw the whole plans, the architect, he drew fewer steps on a little piece of paper and then just glued them over the top of uh, the, the steps that were on the plan rather than you know, redraw it. And he just submitted that. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. I love the way the players could get close to you. And the amount of games I went to at Ivory and evening games in particular, and I can remember Wrighty one night throwing his shirts out the window. And yeah, I, yeah. I went to a testimonial once. I can't remember as it was, boys, to be honest, but Wrighty was playing and the, the game was a bit late kicking off because Bowler County had thrown all the shirts out of the dressing room window before the game. So they had to shoot down the club shop and get a load more printed up quick. I don't know I if think, it's been that. I think, I think that was Nigel Winterburn's testimonial. Apparently it's true. Oh, fantastic. I, I, I had a Legends tour of the Emirates Stadium and uh, Winterborough mentioned that and he, he did say it was true. Listen, the, the stadium saw some fantastic uh, memory. The double winning year of um, 71, we had 79. Um, and um, obviously then you go up to uh, 89. Uh, it was a tragic year for football, but a fantastic year for Arsenal Football Club. Um we had Tony Adams and, and, and O'Leary scoring that penalty. Uh, Mark, do you want to talk a little about, like, 89? In what way? <laughs> yeah, were you, sorry. Were, were, you, were you there? Did you, did you, there's did you, did there's you go, not a lot you, you can guys... say that hasn't been said, is there, really? I mean... Not really. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't No, I didn't go to them. I, I went to most of the matches or most of the home matches that season. Um because the question you were saying before was that was the main time that I went to Arsenal was at 88 to 94. Um, okay. So I chose quite a good time to sort of start going frequently. Um, so Sunshine supporter then, Mark, yeah? Huh? Joke. Well, Sunshine you, supporter. <laughs> you, could, you, could, you could say that, yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, I mean, I, you know, what, what, what can you say about 89? It hasn't all... It's it's just like yeah. true, 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 true. It's just true. unbelievable. But when you think about it, when you think back on it, you know we we went out of, we went out of Highbury after the the Derby game and we lost that. And you think, oh, it's not very good. And then the Wimbledon game, which we drew, and you think, well, it's all over. But as Andy has pointed out on our website, that West Ham scored a goal against Liverpool, which meant rather than that, even three goals. We needed two. So, so West Ham had a big input. Yeah, because I, I mean, I remember that game like it was yesterday. Liverpool scoring those goals against against West Ham and thinking, well, it's really gone now. And I would love to say that I went to that game in '89. You know, I could say that I went to that game in '89. Everyone does, yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I sat at home and watched it on the telly with with my kids because I didn't think we had a hope in hell, to be honest. And I'll never forgive myself for that but you see we we'd won we had the league cup finals the, is it the two years before we beat liverpool didn't we and then we lost to then we lost to yeah. Luton. 
That was my yeah. worst ever visit to Wembley, losing to Luton. That was my worst ever visit to Wembley. It was horrible. Horrible day. O'Leary was injured, I can remember. And so Gus Caesar came in and then history wasn't made. But then 89, we've done that. And then, But what people forget is, 90, what I think the 91 side was probably a better side. Very nearly the first invincible. Game, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Would you agree? They were a proper team. They were, you know, a, a, a proper unit, weren't they? As you, you know, to go only lose one game in the league throughout a season is, is absolutely fantastic. And they did it because they all had a job to do and they all went out and did it. They were not, Limpar was the fancy Dan, but the rest of them, mm. they, they just did the job. Yeah. And you're talking we, about your worst visit to Wembley. My worst visit to Wembley was that year when we lost to that lot up the road in the semi-final of the FA Cup. Oh, oh yeah, that was terrible. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for reminding me that, Andy. I'm over the moon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was I, I severely hung over at the time. <laughs> and <laughs> I, and it, it was in the shade at Wembley and the wind was whistling round. I just didn't want to be there. I was sat there going, oh, I don't want to be here. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. It's quite the two years later. Yeah, um, like you, you talk, you're talking about you, the games you've attended. Do you still attend games now? Are, are like, I know there's a lot of people who frequented Highbury, and uh, as Mark said, people fell out of love with Arsenal uh, and, and football a lot when the the terraces disappeared and the Premier League came in and a gradual. Uh, gentrification of football. Um, do you guys still frequent uh, games now? Uh, how regularly are you season ticket holders? Mark? I was. Okay. I was. My brother bought one in uh, 14, I think, and we had it for five years. Um, and then, uh, I, I don't know. It's just not the same, because in terraces, you could, I don't know, you could move about, you could do this, you could do that. I mean, to be honest with you, I, prefer, I, I mean, I go watch Bromley quite often. I prefer going to see Bromley play football. Not the, 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 the things. I can go with my dad. We can sit down. We can stand up. You know, if you go to Arsenal, yeah. you have to go to the bit that's the same place every time. I mean, OK, you can stand up, Trev. You're quite right if, if you're in the lower levels. But yeah. our season ticket was in the upper upper North Bank. Um, and it, I don't know. It just wasn't. It's just not. It's not the same as it was it's in the eighties and nineties, and and I, I don't know. It's just it's, it's just not, you know, it's, it's it's not as enjoyable watching it. I mean, you might as well once once they bought seats in, you might as well have been able to watch it every game on the telly because it's the same thing, really. Okay, you can have a bit, I'm you not- know, quite. It's, some games are good, but most of it, it's just oh, great, you know, go through the motions, blah blah blah. I mean, which game did you go to, Andrew? It was shocking. They, the nil-nil, wasn't it? A while ago, and you said that's it yeah, for me. I'm, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, it seems to be every time I go now, I say I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the atmosphere is so is so poor. Yeah, you know, it, it, I suppose for us that are of a certain age, we can remember. You know, you go to the remember the eighty-seven, eighty-eight um, Littlewoods Cup semi-final against Everton. Place was absolutely heaving. It was absolutely rocking. And I know it wasn't like that every week, but it was like quite a regular thing. But even when it was, you know, sort of like a, a poor crowd, there'd still be a bit of an atmosphere there. But you go now and just make the, you just can't get it going because, as you say, as Mark says, you, you're all sitting down. 
and it's yeah. just difficult to get it rocking. Let's be fair, boys. Let's be. be, be, be I, I, I always play a bit of devil's advocate with the fans because um, the Emirates isn't built for an atmosphere. The Emirates no. was built to make corporate money. We've got we've got executive boxes all the way around the stadium. There's no breaking them. We've got club level all around the stadium. There's no there's no breaking it. And and yeah, I have heard the Emirates rock, but it is difficult for the fans. It is difficult for the fans. I, and and you just made me smile there, Andy, mentioning the the eighty seven eighty eight League Cup semi final against Everton at, at Highbury, the, the leg at Highbury. I was on the clock in that night, you know, and I remember it vividly. I remember it very well. It was the best atmosphere I saw at Highbury. I was not fortunate enough to go to the game to the to the to the to the Fairs Cup final that they all say was the best atmosphere. I wasn't there for that. I was too young. But that of all the games, if you said to me what's the best atmosphere I've ever experienced at Highbury, it would be that night. It would be yeah. that final against Everton. It was an amazing, amazing evening to be to be an Arsenal fan. And do you know what? I, I differ slightly. To, for the reasons that, that I get fed up with football nowadays, Mark, Andy, sometimes I do think to myself, God, why am I going? But I always enjoy it when I'm there and I always love meeting up with the lads and, and watching the football. I do enjoy still watching it. What puts me off nowadays is, is that the outside influences, the money, the rich owners, the countries owning football clubs, um, you know, and the play acting from the players diving on the floor. And I know it's all the modern game and we, 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 we're going to have to accept it. That's what puts me off more than anything, you know. It puts me off greatly. I moan about it relentlessly. Money and play acting and the fact that football rule, uh, TV rules football nowadays. You look at a fixture list at yeah. the start of the season, when next season's fixture list comes out soon, you might as well just pick it up and tear it into pieces. Because... Mm. You know, we're probably, you know, they're all going to move. Football TV is going to come along at the last minute and say, right, we'll move that, we'll move that, we'll move that, we'll move that. And uh, that's what really bugs me about about the, the modern game, as I like to call it. Well, if you think about football, it's quite a simple game, isn't it? You kick a ball and it's not, it's not like it's not like rugby or cricket where it's got specific rules and you have to understand certain things technically. Football is really simple. And for me, football was always about going out, having a few beers beforehand going on the terraces, having a sing, going home. And that, that was it, really. The football, in many ways, is incidental to, to, to the enjoyment of, of a game. And, yeah, you, there, are, there are one or two games which, I mean, I, I actually really, really enjoyed, because um, I hadn't been to one for ages, the Cup Final 17 against Chelsea. Because that was a re we played really well that game. We know, and to and be the there... as well. Yeah, well, exactly. And to be there at the time in the game and to watch us play so well... When, yeah, we'd been awful pretty much all that season, except for the cup, as usual. Um, that, 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 was, that was fantastic. It was really, really, really great. But for me, football was about going out with your mates and having a laugh, really. It's not so much about 100%. Yeah. 100%. Myself and um, Trev went to uh, the last game of the season, the Brighton game. And a lot of what you've said in various ways encompasses our days, our day, uh, which was meeting in the Woodbine, a few pints of Guinness. Uh, and then we had all the security stuff with COVID and everything else, which we understand needs to be done. But then it was the sterile atmosphere within the ground uh, and uh, sat at different ends of the ground, not allowed to move around. Fortunately, enough, we found a way that we could get together and watch the game together. And it was either that or leave. Um, mm. And, you know, it, it for me, football, yeah, I like watching what 
I like watching leather ball being kicked around by players I, I, I support and everything else. But it's talking about football. It's it's chatting with mates about all sorts of bits and pieces, having a few pints. That's what it is for me. Uh, uh, totally. You mentioned the Chelsea game, Mark. That Chelsea game, I marked down as one of my... Okay, there's loads of North London derbies. Anytime you get one over them or any of the big games and everything. But that Chelsea game in particular goes down as one of my favourite games that I've ever attended. Um, because we went there uh, so much as underdogs. We'd rolled our luck and beaten City in the semi-final. We thought it couldn't work twice. Um, and it, it goes down as as probably one of my favourite games of me match going. I've been a season ticket holder for about 10, 11 years, I think. I think this is my... I'm going into my 11th year. Mark, what, what would, was your favourite game that you've attended? Or, and, and then I'll ask you the same, Andy. Um, Old Trafford 90, when the fight occurred, that was... That was pretty good. <laughs> Any time we get one over there, my brothers about Man United fans being Irish and everything else. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm always pleased with that. But, I mean, I, 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 and again, it, it was is it was a couple of years after um, I'd left Portsmouth with my first history degree or whatever, and I just went up with two blokes who didn't support art. Well, actually, Chris did. We, you know, we just went up to Manchester. My mate lived in Manchester, who I knew from a while ago. We just went around, you know, had X amount of pints, went to the game, went back out, had a great time, you know. And, and it just happened to be such a great, you know, such a great historical event. Um, that, you know, that, that was in, again, that was incidental to the fact that we had a great laugh. Um, but it, it was just, it was just, you know, it just turned into such a laugh, you know, such a great time. Um, yeah, Limpar's goal, which was totally unexpected and also controversial, um, and then and then the the massive ruck, you know, it was great. <laughs> uh, I, I I love the code you used for the amount of pints you had. You used Roman numerals there, X. Um, Andy, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, and, Andy what was yeah. your favourite game and why? Uh, I think uh, at Highbury, it was probably eighty four, eighty five against Liverpool. Uh, and we went, we beat them. Liverpool were like the top dogs at the time. And we absolutely, mm. Don Howe put together the team at the beginning of 84, 85. They were fantastic, scoring goals for fun. And we absolutely annihilated Liverpool. And it was like, you know, that Viv Anderson uh, steaming down the right wing and Tony Woodcock and Brian Talbot's free kick. And it, 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 was, a, it was probably the first 50,000 crowd that I'd ever been in. So that, that was all quite tight in there. But for me, it was uh, also winning that put us top of the league. And it was the first time we'd been top of the league since about 1973. So it's like almost 12 years. And, I, and you know, throughout, this is throughout the whole of the, throughout the season. And it was like, great, this is it. We're going to, you know, this is our season to win the league. <laughs> yeah, it fell away badly after that. But, you know, that, that, that was really good. It was a nice day as well. Everything about it was just a, a great experience. But away games, I think the best one was um, 1987, the Littlewoods Cup semi-final replay at White Hart Lane, which we won 2-1 and Ian Allenson and Rocky scoring late on. And like the atmosphere, I was in the, the top tier. Is it the Park Lane end? Oh, you were in the Park Lane, mate. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely superb. And the best of it was I lived in Chesant at the time. So I, I got a train from White Hart Lane up to Chesham and all along that line is just Tottenham fans. Yeah. So I was, I was on this train absolutely packed and um, 
I just got surrounded by millions of Tottenham fans, but I couldn't say anything. I had to keep my head down and that. And they were absolutely fuming. Yeah. And, and Andy, it's, it's just as well you don't have a mobile phone back in those days because <laughs> I think Tre- Trevor had a similar incident on the tube getting back from Wembley to Baker Street and he had good old Arsenal as his ringtone. Trevor, I might as well give you the opportunity. What's your favourite game that you've ever attended? The favourite game that I've ever attended, oh, apart from my first one, which I remember very well because my uncle took me, um, I think that the, the 79 final at Wembley was 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 a, a great day because I was only 17 years old and it was a wonderful day at Wembley. The highs, the lows, then the highs again has never been has never been repeated with me of that day to be cruising a game like that and then to go to, to be pegged back to two all with a couple of minutes to go and then to have the energy to go down the other end. Um, and, and people, I said it on the podcast the other day. Yeah, they say Alan Sunderland scored the winner. Rixie put a cross in for Sunderland to score the winner. But prior to that, in, in the 90th minute of a game at Wembley, which which was a, a, an energy sapping place, Liam Brady runs the, half the length of the field before that ball is slotted out to Rixie, you know. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the game that makes me smile the most. But apart from... in in makes me smile. In 2004, the Invincible season at Ibury, um, Middlesbrough came calling, yeah, we've, um, we've won Ray Parler in the in the ranks. And we went 3-1 down. We were losing 3-1. And do you know what? That team were that good in 2004. I still sat there and sat in the North Bank. It don't sound right, does it? I still sat in the North Bank that mm. day and I knew we wouldn't lose. That team were that good. I knew we wouldn't lose. And it was it was it was a strange feeling and, and a great day. I, I I really enjoyed that game. Um, so that's about me too. Really, you put me on the spot a bit, mate. Um, Sorry, mate. I'm putting everybody on the spot today. Listen, one other yeah. one I'm going to do. I put three managers' faces on there because uh, other managers have been mentioned, but the ones that have had probably the most accolades in the sense of Wenger, George Graham, and um, uh, um, Herbert Chapman. Uh, who, Andy, would you say has been the greatest Arsenal manager of all times? And you've educated me quite a bit uh, over this time as well. So, uh, Difficult question because they're all great in their own different ways. Uh, but I think I'd have to go for Chapman. Okay. Because, you know, because as Mark said, he, he took a team that had almost got relegated the previous season and almost won the title with them in his first season. Uh, and then put together a plan and, and set the club off for 20-odd years. Mark, I think I know where you're going because you've already alluded to earlier on about Chapman. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that where you're going? Yeah, but my favourite manager is George Graham. George Graham, because mm-hmm. it's probably one of the ones you grew up with, I suppose. Yes, and absolutely. Was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, 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 and... He's the only Arsenal manager who's won the League Cup. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That. It's true. Yeah. yeah, very true. Very true. I, I must admit, you 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 made me think differently about Chapman, especially the Chapman um, Wenger analogy that I I put to you, um, and how we left the state of the club in comparison to uh, the state of the club after twenty two years of of Wenger. Um, I don't think that's all down to him, but yeah, I, I do. Um, Stadium wise, obviously, uh, I think all. 
bar a man would say that they uh, of the of these two stadiums, a beautiful stadium that the Emirates Stadium is, but the all girl um, uh, Highbury is probably everybody's favourite. Um, but give me something that you like, Mark, about the Emirates Stadium. It, what would you say is a positive about the stadium and 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 a, a time that you've had a really good time and witnessed a great atmosphere there? Uh, the statues are probably the best thing about it, in my view. Um, the best, the, the best time was the last game of the season. I can't remember when it was when we beat Villa, and we got second, sixteen, wasn't it? And we got second, and Tottenham screwed up against Newcastle. The atmosphere was fantastic. I mean, everyone's a lot of people. Media was saying, "Oh, Arsenal were so happy they got second. It wasn't. It was because Spurs screwed up, and we we we'd finished above them again for the twenty. 20- first whatever season on the trot um it was it was just fantastic it was just great and all the villa fans were laughing as well because they were going down so they were having a great time as well so the whole stadium they were they were in a checkered sort of burberry sort of uh checkered shirt weren't they i I remember that game well vaguely remember that game last game of the season is quite liquid before but it it, it, it was a great atmosphere because everybody was picking up I mean, it didn't matter whether we were beating Villa because that was an obvious, it was a given. It, everyone was picking up that Spurs would, were going down and down and down. And another goal would mean we'd come above and we did. It was just, you know, it, it was just bizarre. But again, it, it's it's the thing that the Emirates hasn't seen a league win. Yeah. And, and it won't be the same for a lot of... I mean, obviously, people who haven't seen Highbury, it, it's their stadium, so they're happy with it. But if you've seen the two, then there's no comparison between the two, in my view. I, I, my, my first game um, was uh, Arsenal Bolton. Um, I, I was fortunate for my, my my brother had a, a bunch of friends that could get tickets, and on my birthday I generally went to Arsenal Bolton or Arsenal Blackburn, generally a Sam Sam Allardyce um, mm-hmm. uh, managed team. And on two of the three occasions, Kevin Nolan was playing for them and he scored the winning goal. And I'm actually friends with Kevin Nolan right now. And I do remind him how he ruined my birthday on on, on two occasions. But I, I, I do remember walking up uh, in and down onto the North Bank. My, my wife as well had had free access to the stadium because she was with the St. John's Ambulance. She'd been, I was looking after the kids when the kids were younger, when the double winning side were on Islington Town Hall. She was there with Burkham Petit. That's a completely other story. But she had loads of access and wasn't interested. And I was just getting more and more engrossed in the football and in, in the club. And I remember walking up and coming out onto the North Bank towards the West Stand. I was on, on there. And the noise and the smells and seeing that Green Bays, it was just amazing. And then seeing like the pipe work and the art deco. Mm. I, my brother lives in Boston in America and I've been to the Fenway and the Fenway stadium. I don't know if you've ever been out there. It's all very exposed metal rivets and everything else. Very, very much a, a very similar feel. Uh, Andy, um, trying to get into the Emirates. Um, what, what's your favorite experience that you've had in there and favorite game? Um, it was probably, I'm pretty certain it was the first game that I took my oldest son to there. Uh, we got tickets for a game against Tottenham. It was the one where Nicholas Bentner came on as substitute and scored straight away. <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, yeah, and for, for him to have that as his first game there was great. He, I only ever got to take him to Highbury once, uh, but that was right at the end of 2005-06 uh, against West Brom. But 
taking him to that game. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, and and that was one of the games where it was a good atmosphere. Yeah, you know, we had good seats where we could see everything. That's the good thing about the Emirates over Highbury is that the sight lines are superb. Wherever you are, you get a good view. It, yeah. it is a state-of-the-art stadium. It was designed to have exactly what you said. Unfortunately, it, um, the way modern football's gone now has turned into an entertainment rather than a sport. Um, and it's designed out of not an awful lot of atmosphere. Uh, Wembley uh, uh, is sterile, more sterile than, than the Emirates. And uh, I think other clubs around the world have looked at the way developments have gone and, and try to develop in and engineer in those sort of things. But I don't think you can engineer in tradition. I don't think you can en en engineer in history and uh, and the like. Um, what I was going to ask you um, uh, was, that as a final question, um, has there ever been a question uh, that you couldn't answer? Probably not now. Mark mentioned it earlier. That's the digitization of um, newspapers. So. As long as someone asks me a question online, I can normally find an answer out quite quickly. Whereas, you know, when Mark and I used to, when we first started doing this sort of stuff 30 years ago, the only way you could find information was to go down to the newspaper library and look for stuff. And a lot of the time, it was like find, trying to find a needle in a haystack. And sometimes you'd come across something, you go, oh, that's interesting. And it'd be a, a nice find. Yeah. But now... Uh, if you ask me a question, who played in this game for the reserves against so and so, I could probably go online onto one or two, uh, one or two or three uh, websites and find the answer quite quickly. And they, they are like sort of trusted website because you can go on and find out anything and make the answer to anything you want online. So in on some pages, but have you got a niche few site? I'm not asking you to put them on here, but a niche niche few sites that you would do for your research the British newspaper archive. So they've, they've okay. got newspapers going back to the, the, you know, the 1700s and they basically digitized them and made them text searchable. So we can put in, if I, if, I, if I wanted to search for Henry Norris, I could just type in Henry Norris, Arsenal, hit the search button and it bring up a load of uh, hits and we can click on them and you can read the actual paper. It's got the, the actual uh, scan of the newspaper and it's all highlighted now, so you haven't even got to read through, you know, sort of like columns and columns of, of uh, text. They actually highlight them for you. Like I say, it's made it so much easier. So sometimes it's on the days of microfiche. No, not microfiche anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so now it's, you know, like I say, it, it's, um, it, it's become almost too easy. But sometimes you need to know what, what you're looking for, what sort of words to look for. Yeah. Mark, probably no point in asking the same question, but you mentioned you, you can do it. I can, I can tell you there is an answer. Go, go, go on, go on, go on. We're at an we're at an ASA meeting, um, and Andy had done a talk about the Royal Arsenal, and someone said, someone just said, what motivated those men to do that? I've got, I've got no answer for it. I don't know. You know, I thought it was a brilliant question because you know what what in the eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties motivated. Uh, skilled working class blokes to become to run a football club. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not it's not a football Friendship. club, is it? It's a Friendship. in 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 an area that working class people in football would have been frowned upon at that time. I imagine. 
not no, not really, not really. Um, I mean, because the Woolwich, it's it's different. Because it was Arsenal very was, military, and yeah, it was a military place, and 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 Arsenal actually actually ran itself as a co-op. Um, the actual football club ran it itself as a co-op. So they wouldn't let any one person take it over, which we, me and Andy, found as part of the the George Weaver trying to take the club over in eighteen ninety. Um, the, the, the the man who owned the Invicta ground. Um, it, Arsenal w- was very egalitarian, very from 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 day one. It was it was, you know, it was run as a co-op, um, and it was really only when Norris took over that one person was sort of, you know, there was a sort of not a committee anymore. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. yeah, Norris did change the way Arsenal were, Arsenal were run as well as everything. The the question I was going to ask you in replacement of that one was you mentioned that the thing that you liked the most about the Emirates stadium is the statues outside Mm -hmm. the uh, the stadium. Currently there's Tony Adams. um, There's Sir Herbert Chapman. There Mm -hmm. is um, Dennis Burkamp and there's Thierry Henry. If you were to pick one, two, three statues, who would you have them off? Well, actually, there's also Ken Fryer as well. No, uh, that's a bust, isn't it? No, no, yeah. it's him. Statues. As a boy. As a boy. Oh, oh okay. Boy. Yes, yes, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he first started. Yeah, yeah. I stand corrected. Thank you. Several times today. On the, on the, <laughs> on the wall, on one of the walkway. It's difficult, really, because there's... there's which era do you, do, you, do you look to? Do you look to earlier era you know someone like george levy who no one would really know about but who was instrumental in saving the club in 1900 um Roe castle george graham yes um yes you know a 50s a 50s player tom or or, or whitaker you know as a manager or george allison um there, there's so much that you can that you can that you could put into it to say who would it you know, who, who would we have? It's just really difficult. It, it's, it, it's, so, it's so true. I'm sorry, Fergus. Fergus seems to have forgotten I'm here, boys, so I'm going to butt in because he ain't asked me a question. You know, when I see him, I'm going to fall out with questions. But the, for me, you, Mark made a really interesting point about covering the eras with, with what statue you have from, from what era. I know we've already got a statue of Chapman. I know that. But I would love to see the next statue of Arsenal be like a bench with Chapman, Graham, me and Wenger <laughs> on that bench together. And then that would get my mind thinking, mm. what on earth would those guys be talking about? I would love mm. to see that. A bench and maybe a space for someone to sit between the four of them and have their picture taken. Uh, that, yeah, that's, that's wow. brilliant. Idea. That's that brilliant. would be perfection for me, that would. Absolute perfection. Trevor, I- I think, uh, if I can figure out how to do it, I'm going to clip that little bit out of uh, this video and yeah. we should get get people behind that because I think it's a great idea. Some like iconic managers of the club doing it. Um, it Mark, just to pin you down, if I was to pin you down on one single person that you'd want to pick a uh, statue off, who would who would you say? And if you don't want to say don't, I'm, I'm never going to push it. Probably George Graham. Yeah. Okay. George Graham. Andy? George Graham. George mm. Graham. He's found his voice um, now, Andy. George Graham <laughs> made Wenger's life easier because Wenger inherited. I've been shouted down for this before, but I don't care. Wenger inherited 
a defence. Probably when Wenger picked his defence in his first game or his first few games, those players probably had a thousand appearances for Arsenal between them at that time, uh, including yeah. Seaman, of course. And that laid the foundations for Wenger to get off to the start he did. I don't care anyone. I'm not knocking Wenger because Wenger did build another side before the, the, the slippery slope down mm. started, in my yeah. view. Yeah. But that George Graham it, it was a massive influence on the start of Arsene Wenger's career. And people shout at me about it, but I don't care. In my mind, that's a fact. What you've got to remember, though, Trevor, is that at that time, a lot of people were saying, you know, you know as Riot was there and that Wenger's start, the, the defence was getting too old and they needed to be replaced. So what Wenger did was he extended their careers. Absolutely. You yeah. know, they all had four, five, six years after yeah. he joined. Yeah. And everyone else was saying they're, they're all getting too old. Dixon, his legs are gone. Winterburn, his legs are gone. But they, they, they carried on. And, and it was because of what Wenger introduced into the club. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, and you're right. You're right. But they were there. They were there, you know, and... Uh, it's it's so it's Graham for me. And the, the other question he didn't ask me, boys, the greatest, the, the best atmosphere I've seen at the Emirates was the first game of the 96-97 season when we played Leicester at home and we beat them 4-3. And when that fourth goal went in... 96-97, we weren't in the Emirates, Trevor. Just to... Uh, not 96-97, sorry. <laughs> sorry, he, he, he crucified me, so I had to do it. 2017, 18, whenever it was. I've got yeah. Like think about Trevor, he's getting old and, you know, his memory's going. So, you know. <laughs> anyway, rewind. We can edit that bit out. Although no, I'm not. That's no, yeah. 2016-17 season, or 17-18, one of the two, we played Leicester at home and we won 4-3. And when the fourth goal went in against Leicester that day at the Emirates, that, that was comparable to any any atmosphere I've seen at the Emirates, including the North London derby. So that was that was my favourite uh, favourite atmosphere at the Emirates. Right, swiftly moving on, Fergus, and uh, we'll find the the edit button to take that. Out, uh, no, so far, there's there's very little to edit. There's nothing coming out so far of what I can see. Uh, the statue, I'd love to see, and I love the idea of the bench. I think that's fantastic. I love the idea of uh, uh, representing the eras. Um, but I think uh, Ian Wright, uh, George Graham. Um, a Rocky Rollcastle, any of those three, but uh, the Rocky Rollcastle and Ride Hug, I'd love to see that um, commemorated mm. in in um, in in bronze. Uh, and I would like to see a statue of Enger out there because um, uh, I, I I was a huge fan. He was a, ver- a huge influence on my on my experience of Arsenal Football Club. Before we go, uh, we touched on a couple of um, uh, former hold Arsenal. Hold on, hold on. You didn't ask me my statue. I haven't had a statue. Oh, Jesus, Harry, go on. Go on, then. No, we're not. Um, I did ask you, but Trevor jumped in. Sorry. Yeah, did, yeah. I would go back to the very beginning. I'd have David Danskin. Wow. The man who started the club. Good call. What a call that is, yeah. What a great call, yeah. Jesus, this this has been the best hour and a half I've, I've ever talked about Arsenal in, 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 in such such a long time. Um, but what I was going to say uh, before we finish up is uh, Lance Corporal Robert Houston um, of the 17th Middlesex Battalion 
who uh, played for Arsenal. Uh, he disembarked in France on the 17th of November 2015 and was killed in action on the 13th of November 1916 on the front line near the Battle of the uh, near the end of the Battle of the Somme. Was one of the uh, people, and I thank you, Mark, for putting this in the comments uh, to help us out. And leading stroker Albert Maynard. Uh, he was Stoker. born nine. Stoker. Stoker. Leading sorry, Stoker. I'm up. I'm dyslexic. I told you this before. You should be reading this, not me. Um, leading Stoker, Albert Maynard, was born nine days before the end of the First War, World War in 1918 in Tunbridge Wells in, uh, in Kent. A goalkeeper who appeared for the Arsenal A team in the Southern League in January 1939. Assisting, uh, he was, um, sorry, soon... He was hospitalised after returning from the war in the world once. Oh, help me out here, Trev. Come on. No, he, he joined the he joined the Royal Navy. Um, was a submariner, and sadly, oh, yeah, submarine, that's yeah, yeah. Sadly, the submarine was lost in the Mediterranean on twenty third of March, nineteen forty three. Um, yeah. He's only twenty four. Wow. You know, it's um, food for thought, isn't it? Really, stuff like that. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Do you know what impresses me? I, I have I have a lot of thoughts about the war. Some of my relatives, as most of us have relatives, were lost during the war. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you boys can pull up statistics from an Arsenal A team in the Southern League in the early 1900s just is so impressive, boys. And and before, I know Fergus is going to wrap it up, so I'm going to get in in front of him and, and wrap my bit up, and then I'll pass it over to Fergus. The, you've made you've made my enjoyment of, of Arsenal gr so much greater since I discovered you boys' website a few years ago and, and started reading your books. And for that, I'm very appreciative. Although I'm an old fellow myself, I'm very appreciative. And I'm always learning. Whenever I open your book or your website, I learn something. Something new, it comes into my head about the Arsenal. And it's, it's happened many times just during the, the course of our hour and a half conversation today. So I know Fergus is going to do it, but personally, for me, you have no much, uh, much, you have no idea how much I've enjoyed this hour and a half. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you, boys. I hope that one day we can do it again. I seriously hope that the updated version of this book is allowed to be published soon because I think it's important that history is updated, and as you say, not mm -hmm. just not yeah. just not just current history, previous history, because you boys are always working to find out more. So I'll shut up now, and, and, and I'll just leave it with a big thank you, Mark and Andy. Very much appreciated, and I'll let Fergus finish off, mate. Uh, yeah, it has been just over the hour and a half. Uh, bear in mind that we said this would take 45 minutes at tops to an hour, um, and I think I've jumped through so much that we could do this again and again, pick an era, and we could do stuff about it. Um, I really do thank you guys very, very much. I've not only learned, but I've enjoyed uh, this afternoon uh, so, so much. Uh, and it's good to to see what you guys do and everything else. Uh, so thanks for coming on. The one thing I would like to say before we go, and it's um, just on remembrance and so on, uh, Tony Eastlake uh, sadly got uh, stabbed on Essex Road um, last weekend. And uh, our good friend of the show, Ruth Beck, um, is uh, putting up um, and doing some um commemorative cards 
um, uh, for off his flower stall. Um, she's done other things like uh, the the art of the Arsenal Station. She's done the Cronky Out sort of artwork. Um, if people would like to uh, uh, go there, have a look at her shop. It's uh, at Este. Uh, if you uh, do Ruth Beck art, and also um, there is uh, a, a GoFundMe, which is GoFundMe E two four five A. Uh, five four nine, um, and all the money that is raised for there will go to um, Ellen Mags, who's organising everything for Tony. And uh, it's just senseless that people get done like that. Listen, mm -hmm. um, thank you very, very much for joining us. I've really, really appreciated. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we do, guys. Um, Mark, Andy, do you want to just tell people a little one last thing or where they can find you and how they can subscribe or if they want to follow you or anything like that? Do you do Twitter? Do you do Facebook? Do you do Instagram? Do you do any of that? Or are you just old school internet? Uh, right. So, yeah, we're both on Twitter and websites. Good or so. I'm at Guna underscore AK on Twitter. Uh, I tweet loads of Arsenal stuff that's really based around what we've just been talking about uh, and a few other bits as well. We've got um, our own website called thearsenalhistory.com, which has flashed up on, the, on here a few times. But we've also got another one uh, where we're putting loads of old Arsenal programs, handbooks, books, anything to do with Arsenal, they're all complete issues of these publications and they're all free to view. Uh, there's no, no fee for it at all. And it's called the Arsenal collection .uk. Amazing. Mark, anything? Mark, anything to say? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter as well. I'm, I think I'm Royal Arsenal MRA, but I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tweet. I'll tweet. I mean, I, 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 I do, I do do quite a few stuff with Trevor. I he, Looks at my stuff now and again, and does bits and pieces, which is nice. No, thank you. No, it's been it's it's been really nice actually. Been really nice good. discussion. I agree. Yep, really enjoyed it. Really good. Where do you boys keep all your programs and documents and all that? I mean, I've got like a few. I've got a few thousand programs. I would imagine stashed away. But I mean, I'm nowhere near a full collection. Nowhere near what you boys have got. Where do you keep it all? On a hard drive. It's all scanned in. So you don't actually keep it. He's his wife in the shed and he's <laughs> yeah. got a four-bedroom house full of books. <laughs> yeah. I know. Okay. Oh, she nags me, but never mind. All right. Listen, guys, you have been watching Arsenal, um, Arsenal, uh, uh, an Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. As you can see, that's exactly what we've done. Um you know, uh, this is, we don't do it for clicks. We don't do it for anything else. We do it because we love Arsenal Football Club. If you like what we do, uh, subscribe, follow us. Uh, I just tell you, mates. Uh, thanks very much. Have a great summer. We'll try and do a few more of these, um, but not many uh, uh, before the season starts. Thanks very much, everyone. Thanks again, guys. You've been listening to Guns and Yellow Ribbons, an Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. Follow us on Facebook at Guns and Yellow Ribbons and Twitter at Guns and Ribbons. And remember to rate and review us too.